0: Hi, and welcome to One Stop Co-Op Shop, your one-stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, the king of co-op, Steve Kingsley, and his special guest are going to review a game for you and have a related discussion. And without further ado,
1: here's Steve! Welcome to One Stop Co-Op Shop. Steve here with a special guest, well, not really a guest anymore, a returning member of the team, Colin. Colin. Hey, 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 Steve. Hey, Colin. How's it going? Uh, Living the dream, man. Just had uh, baby
0: number three. So currently on uh, paternity leave and enjoying it.
1: Oh, congrats. I'm so glad for you guys.
0: It's been pretty fun. His name's Tyler. Uh, He is just about a month old now, and he's doing pretty well. So it's been a lot of fun. The two bigger brothers love him. Uh, You know, I have to say it's very different when we had Nathan... Connor was very jealous, but they were only about a year and a half apart. But now we've got like a three year gap between Nathan and Tyler and they're loving, they're loving Tyler. They're coming over. They're giving us as we, they call them diapies and wipes helping us out with that. It's pretty fun. So <laughs> fun. yeah, I'm, I'm amazed how much, uh, how much the kids have enjoyed Tyler, which is fun.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. Cause sometimes it doesn't go over so well. I, my wife's told me the story of when just, my wife's the middle child and when her younger brother was born she loved him loved him in the hospital and everything but uh when she realized that uh, oh yeah they they brought him home one day like <laughs> her response to her mom was like mom take him back take him back so <laughs> yes
0: oh yes i've heard that and that's kind of how connor was with nathan he didn't even want to look at him he was like why is this this human here you know but uh very different with tyler they actually really like him being there and i who knows i I think it's got to be an age thing getting that three year difference or uh the the gap i think
1: helped sure for sure cool man i'm happy for you guys well yeah colin's here to join me on a review for an older game we're reaching the vaults a little bit sword and sorcery woohoo what a good game if you guys follow the YouTube channel, this might not be a surprise because it's getting a lot of videos from Colin as he's playing through a revisit to an old sword and sorcery campaign.
0: Yeah, I don't know what spurred it. Exa- Actually, I know exactly what spurred it. So Mike gave me Galaxy Defenders, and I played Galaxy Defenders, and I really liked it. I played on my own the first three missions, and then I recorded the first mission on the channel. Uh, and then I was like, oh, this is fun. But then it made me think of sword and sorcery. So then I was like, well, you know, I did Mission 2 two and a half years ago. Uh, why don't I do Mission Request 3? And I did, and all of a sudden now I've already finished Act 1 at this point, and I have done the first scenario of the Arcane Portals expansion already recorded. You'll, you guys will see it soon on the channel, <laughs> a.k.a. I'm really enjoying it
1: spoilers for ahead
0: right? (laughs) oh yeah whoops uh yeah i mean i might be enjoying it Uh, we'll see Uh, (laughs) you'll find out during the review
1: and before we jump in the review i want to thank our patreon supporters so we have three to list today brian bouchard a co-op lover player part also a co-op lover and donald lieber a co-op champion Thanks, guys, for your support. And honestly, everyone who watches our videos and contributes to the community, it's it's great to to converse and interact with all you guys. Helps us going. Totally. Okay, let's jump into review for Sword and Sorcery. So for this first time joining us, we like to do a top five things you need to know about the game. So what we do is we pick five things, starting with our least important, moving up to number one, our most important. As we list each item, we talk about if it's a pro or con. So before we jump in, let's briefly describe Sword and Sorcery and we'll get to our list. So Sword and Sorcery is a massive dungeon crawl. This is one of your heavy hitters in this genre, in my opinion. There's a no- number of them, of course, and honestly, quite almost every dungeon crawl is heavy hitter at this point because they have so many components and just things going on. But there, yeah, this is definitely one of those games. It is your quintessential classic fantasy genre. So you have wizards and orcs and dwarves and Basically everything you've come to learn and expect from that type of genre. The big part about the game is you are coming to play as not like like a broken hero. You have a soul shard you're trying to recharge. And so that's how you level up in the game. And you're beginning powers and you have cooldowns to manage every time you do powers. This is a dice chucking game where you're rolling dice and using results in dice to activate different abilities. Going against different enemy AIs with a campaign which has some branching paths not a lot but it does have different quests you may play depending on how you approach the campaign but generally the campaigns or the quests I should say have branching decision points and different things you reference in that so the story within the quest will change but we might get into that a little bit later currently there is a full campaign with act one act two it's divided into two halves for a story called immortal souls and later this year If all goes well, we'll be getting Ancient Chronicles, which is another uh, self-contained campaign. But yeah, this is your dice-checking dungeon crawl. Let's jump into our top five list. So Colin, would you like to start with your number five? Sure, sure. So my number five, and by the way, Steve, great job
0: on explaining the game. It is quite fun. Uh, It is definitely a dice-chucker, though, so you have to be ready for that. (laughs) Uh, So my number five would would put this at uh, a con, um, and that is the multiplayer. So... Every time I played this game with more than two people, so and this is back in 2017 and 2018 when the game first came out, I tried with three different groups that I had either four people or five people. And the problem with them is that the game was just too long for four or five people uh, because the game, you get to decide who gets to go uh, each, each round. You get to decide who gets to go first, second, third. You can make really cool strategic decisions on who should go. Oh, I can go up there and dominate that area or help you and support you in this area, which is great. But we had times where you might activate first in a round, and then you might activate second to last or last in the next round. And just think of how many turns you are waiting to actually uh, go. And the thing about this game is you're going to do a turn, then the AI is going to get a turn, then you're going to do a turn, uh, your team is going to do a turn, and then the AI is going to get a turn. So instead of it being all heroes move and then all the enemies move, which is actually, I think, a positive in the game, that it's not that, Um, it's, it's much more dynamic. You move, then they move, you move, then they move. Uh, The the problem, though, is that you can have an extended period of time where you're sitting there doing nothing. (laughs) Now, you can be strategizing, you can be talking, you can be invested. And if you've got people that are really excited about the game, that will work. But the first couple of scenarios, at least from my experience, haven't pulled enough people in, especially people that aren't really invested in this dungeon crawler universe. Uh, they, they just, they couldn't get into it. And so every time I've tried it with multiplayer, more than two players, it's failed. Uh, so for me personally, I find this to be a great solo to two player game. Uh, but if you're looking for something that's above, above the three player count for me, it it was not working.
1: Yeah, that's actually a great point. I, the game plays fine, like mechanically at higher player counts, but like you said, it's really long and I completely agree with just saying, this is best at the lower player counts to alleviate that that issue. And you do have some level of cooperation between players, of course. There's the things I can, I can boost you with different powers. I can do other stuff. But you're not actively doing things on the other player's turn, with the exception of helping to run the enemy AI, which can be quite extensive. So you kind of share that load across the table. So yeah, it's a great point. I do recommend that you do play this with one or two players. That's a really good one.
0: All right, Steve, what's your number five?
1: Mine number five is also a con, and this is probably not a surprise, but I feel like it has to be stated the setup is just a pain. This should be a surprise when we talk about dungeon crawls in general, but, I mean, this one just has soul gems for each hero. Each hero has their own the deck of powers, or not really a deck of car- powers, but a bunch of cards related to the powers. have items and gears, but some of them have special tokens. You have deck of cards for events, encounters, enemies, treasures, traps in this town, Enemy AI cards, tons of miniatures, tokens, and uh, just so much stuff. The board, my table—I have to play it on my big dining room table because I don't have space for it in my other tables in the house. It just takes up a ton of real estate. But I mean, it's fun, and once I bring it out, I kind of just want to keep it out as much as possible. And I know not everyone's able to do that, but this is one of those games that I would recommend if you can just set up like a stint where you play like three games back to back or something. Does it help alleviate that? Now, the expansion coming out is going to help a little bit with some of these issues because they are adding, like, tuck boxes. We can keep track of um, everything I hear it has in, like, one box for your campaign. And they're reducing the number of tokens and with having, like, multi-use tokens for different status effects and removing just counting tokens with a dial, for example. So I think this is going to improve in the future, but as it stands now, it's it's just a pain to set up.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be honest. If I couldn't keep this game up on the table, and that's part of the reason why, when I was recording this uh, back in 2017, 2018 um, for the channel, I took it down after Quest Two. I never could convince myself to get it back onto the table for Quest Three because at that point I was playing on my dining room table, and each night I had to take everything down because we use that to eat at every day. <laughs> so it was just not even possible i mean i i recorded what i would do is i would record a part of it during one night i have to take everything down then i have to put everything back up and record the next night it was terrible so now uh we've moved into a new house i actually have my own gaming room with a game table uh, yeah, this thing is just sitting out on the table. And if, if you can have it out on the table, it's great. And it's not like Gloomhaven where you can just use any old tile. It doesn't really matter. The tiles actually have different things on them that you need. They're gonna have different rooms with different walls and different places, which is great. But that means you need to pull out all the individual tiles. You can't just do mics. you know, oh, I'm just going to play with these random standees and these random tiles and play with that. You can't do that with this game. All those things actually matter, which is great, except for that it makes setup long, 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 long.
1: <laughs> for sure.
0: That's my number five. What's your number four, Colin? Yeah, so my number four overall is a pro, and that is, for me, the story. So what really got me into this game after playing Quest 3 is I started to get really invested in the story. I will say that the first two scenarios, I was kind of meh on the story. I didn't really know what was going on. It kind of felt very generic. And they do some throwbacks to some stuff in pop culture, and I don't honestly like that. I wish they didn't do that. Uh, but other than that part, where the story is going, I actually am really enjoying it. And Now that I've finished Act 1 and I'm going into the side quests from the Arcane Portals, oh, It's cool. I don't know what's happening. Uh, I had a bad guy that maybe isn't a bad guy, maybe potentially is a bad guy. I don't know. Right. And so there's lots of fun little tweaks within the story. Uh, also in the, the original act one, there is one specific place where there's a branching path and that's really cool. And you'll play a different scenario depending upon what you do. And so it makes me really excited to, when I try this again with different characters that I would then be able to try a different path and see how that one goes. So really like how the story works in the game and it's making me excited and it's making me want to play that next scenario, which is the whole reason why I'm leaving it on my table.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying here. Uh, the, the pop culture references, I know they're trying to be funny and cute, but they don't stand the test of time, and I just don't care that they're there. Like, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. it gives me a smile or whatever, a little grin or a groan in some other cases, but whatever. They're, they're easy enough to ignore just keep moving on. Yep. The, the story, I agree, when you're starting off, it's like, well, what's going on? I'm not sure what's happening. Then it starts picking up. You kind of start linking the pieces together. That's pretty fun. But the one thing I will point out that you haven't mentioned yet is in the story is we'll be reading this book. There's a, there's a book of secrets is what it is. So you have a campaign book that tells you how to set things up and a book of secrets which tells you what is happening in the story as you encounter this adventure. But there'll be parts in the book of secrets to say, hey, if you have X, if XYZ has happened, do this. If not, go on to this. And sometimes I don't even know what XYZ is. It's never been brought up like, well. How do we even encounter this? When does this happen in the story? I don't know. And that just makes me want to go back and replay to like figure out like what's other secrets or other things I have not discovered while playing this game. That's pretty fun.
0: Steve, you hit that right on the head. That's totally right. I should have mentioned that. That's one of the greatest parts of the game. And there have been now a couple scenarios where you start off, you're not even you're doing more of an RPG where it's saying, "Hey, you've got some time. You can ask certain questions." ask these questions, but you can only ask maybe two out of the five. So you ask those, and you might get some information about the scenario. Uh, and like just in my last play, I got some information about two different locations. And so I was like, okay, which one do I want to go to? So I went to one location, figured out what that was. I was going to the other location, and then this whole... Big story event happened and i ended up not not even ever being able to go there so uh the next time i want to play i want to be able to go and check that out so uh, that's really cool and it's something that i feel like a lot of dungeon crawlers they don't give you that right so what they do is they give you this feeling of a story but it's very much uh linear and not that this one isn't linear, this one is linear, but uh, it's more about uh, giving you those fun little side points that you can find. A lot of them, those you're going to find every time that you play. And and uh, uh, I feel like with sword and Sorcery, at least what I've seen so far, there are more and more of those as you go through the campaign that you can come back to and go, oh, well, we didn't encounter that the last time, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, Steve, what is your number four? My well, number four is kind of a weird one to bring up, but I feel like it's worth mentioning, and that's the rule book. If you asked me about the rulebook when I first started playing the game, it would have been a con. But this I'm actually listing as a pro. And let me just explain that a little bit. At first, when I when I was trying to get in the game, it was difficult to digest the 50-page rulebook. And it's hard to really grok and learn the game from that. I mean, the information's there. It's presented fine. It's just a lot of information to digest. And so when you're trying to get in this game, that's a, that's a big hurdle, unfortunately. But once you get the feel for the game, you don't need to have all the details worked out. Uh, to start playing the game because honestly the gameplay is fairly simple to, to execute it's just the the nuances do get in the way sometimes but when you have a question you can po- open up the table of contents and find the reference you want and the nice thing is you can go to that that reference and they have cross references in the rulebook so if i chose the wrong section it might tell me hey Maybe you want to look at this because this is related to this topic. I'm like, oh, cool. Let me jump that page. And there it is. There's the answer I want. And even better, the fact that it is 50 pages means they have tons of examples of illustrations. I can't stress enough how nice it is to be able to open up a book and get these answers. And even finding illustrations of my specific question I had in mind right there in the rulebook, which is excellent. And looking back at this game from stepping away from it for a while, because I know Elijah and I, we are playing a campaign, but we play it at Spurge. We'll play a few mission or a few quests and then stop for a number of months and come back to it. And so that rulebook really helps facilitate that. And it's, it's nice to be able to have the answers in a rulebook rather than having to go online to BoardGameGeek or some other internet forum to try to search for the answer. Because honestly, most answers are in that book. I feel like it's really well done.
0: Well, I don't know about you, Steve, but the fact that when I have those questions and I find the exact example of what is happening to me in the book and then they explain it clearly makes me think and feel, wow, they really play tested this game. (laughs) You know, uh, there are so many games where you're playing it, uh, Reich Busters being one of them for me recently that I've just had this experience where I'm playing things and it's like, how did they not realize that people aren't going to understand how to resolve this? And with Sword and Sorcery, yeah, that first time through the rulebook it's brutal. It is brutal. This is what I recommend. Watch a playthrough. You don't have to watch mine. Just watch a playthrough. That will get you the flow of the game, okay? Then you can simply, after that point, you'll be able to kind of start playing, and then you can reference that rulebook when questions come up. Wait, what does that AI do? How does the enemy work? Wait, which line am I needing to look at first? Well, guess what? You can just move right to the enemy section, and you'll see, okay, enemy activation. Oh, wait, who do they target? Oh, look at the priority target place. Oh, perfect, done. Um, The only thing I feel like they're missing, they do have a really great uh, reference sheet as well. That sheet though, does not have the, uh, you know, if they don't have their priority target available, there's the standard ones of looking for the one that's the most wounded, the least amount of health. They don't have that listed on there, which is a bummer. You always, I always have to go back to the rule book, but other than that, yeah, other than that, I just feel like it's so incredibly great now, (laughs) but yeah, that first time going through it. Oh, 50 pages. Yeah. That's why the longest time no one had videos on this, on this uh, game because it just felt overwhelming. But I really think it's overall, it's great. I just, I wonder if they had done the fantasy flight way of learn to play. And then the rules reference that might've actually worked. And I used to hate that with fantasy flight, but I'm kind of understanding now why they do that because they they could have done that here with sword and sorcery. Here's these simple like three page rules of what you need to do. Reference this 50 page rule book for all of the questions that you're going to have as you play. I don't know. What do you think, Steve?
1: No, I completely agree. I think that would have been a really smart solution here because, like I said, the rule book is really well done. It's got illustrations for honestly a ton of examples. You might run into, but how do you understand like the basic flow? How do you pull that out of here? I mean. It does a fine job. It's listed in there. It's not like you can't understand it through the rule book. And oftentimes, when you try to sit down and learn a game and play a game, you just don't want to get going. You don't want to have to mull through and t- try to adjust the thing. I'm a weird case person where I like to read rule books multiple times before I sit down and play a game. I often read the like rule books once or twice before I even purchase the game. Even when I get it, I read it a few times after that. So I'm a I'm a weird corner case. I don't think a lot of people would want to even do that. But so. It was easier for me to help understand the game from that standpoint, but those learn-to-plays are excellent solutions for this.
0: Steve, that was a great number four. Thank you for bringing that up. I can't believe I didn't have that on my list. I should have. (laughs) Um, I can uh, jump into my number three, if that's all right. Do it. Okay. So my number three is having to do with how you resolve your attacks. So I know we talked about it at the beginning. Oh, and this, by the way, is a huge pro for me. So I know at the beginning of this, when Steve was talking about it, he explained this game as a dice chucker. And yes, I totally agree it is a dice chucker. Yet, with all the different types of powers that you have and all of the different weapons and all of the enemy AIs, you are going to see, instead of you just rolling four, five, or six dice, you're going to have auto-successes. So this helps mitigate a lot of that, a lot of that luck. There are many times where I can go, oh, if I move over to this place, I focus my attack so I can get that plus one hit. I know that now I'm dominating that area so that I have another plus one hit. I don't even need to roll dice. I know I was able to defeat the enemy. And I love that. They they took the the dice are almost like an extra benefit, right? So you know what you're going to succeed with with your auto successes, and then you add those dice in for the flavor and for that fun and for that excitement of, am I going to actually get that really big hit? Or, oh my gosh, I rolled all failures, you know, Um, which is super cool. I I think what they did, you know, playing Galaxy Defenders, you can tell that game, you always just roll dice, right? There aren't any automatic successes, really. Uh, Maybe there are later on the campaign that I haven't seen, so I I can't say anything about that only gone to mission three but um here i just feel like it really helps mitigate that feeling of well the all i have to do is run up and swing my axe roll my dice. Oh, okay. I got three successes this time. whoop de doo No, you can see your axe already has two automatic successes. You're going to roll a blue die and a red die, but you can focus it. Oh, but you can also make sure that you're having uh, you know, a supremacy. So you can get plus one successes. Oh, but you got to look at what their armor is and maybe you can KO them so you can cancel out their armor. You know, there's just so many more things that you get to do. And I feel like a lot of people only see the dice and really the, To me, this game is a lot more than just the dice. The dice is kind of the flavor, but a lot of the strategy is about using those auto successes and those focus actions and the dominating your areas and all of that uh, effectively. So to me, that's a huge pro.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you stated this one. This is something I feel like it's lost because we're so used to in the hobby to see, oh, Dungeon Crawl dice, it's a dice checker, right? And to be fair, you do chuck a lot of dice in this game. So that does happen. But Colin, you're exactly right with what you're saying that those automatic success- successes add a ton to the gameplay. In fact, I was playing with my wife in a separate campaign where she was set up her character where yeah, she didn't even have to roll dice; she could still do a critical damage stuff guaranteed every time when she was shooting arrows. So there's like different builds you can do to maybe not leverage the dice quite so much. Uh, at some point, you probably are going to be rolling a lot of dice anyway, because exactly you say that. You have guaranteed hits, and you tend to supplement it with dice rolls, which adds some level of excitement and some a way to trigger your special abilities and stuff like that. But similar to kind of how Gloomhaven handles status effects, where as you don't have to have the enemy suffer damage to suffer the the negative effects, same thing with this game too. Where I can set up so I have guaranteed hits, and I know my hit is going to be do a critical. I know for sure that Emmy's going to take critical. There's no luck involved in that. It's happening for sure.
0: Yeah, it's almost like the dice are very similar to the modifi- modification deck in Gloomhaven. Uh, the only difference is that every time when you pick up those dice, you start over, right? So the, the fun part with Gloomhaven when the response deck is as you flip those cards, you're no longer going to flip your minus one that you already flipped over until you get one of your misses or your times twos, which are a lot of fun, of course. But here, you're going to get that every time you roll your dice, and, and that can be a Quite enjoyable, right? So you're gonna go up there. I've got my hammer, I'm gonna swing it. Oh my gosh, I ended up rolling four additional hits. Didn't know that was gonna happen. That's a lot of fun and exciting. I will also say that the advantage is there's no auto miss like there is in Gloomhaven, which by the way, I hate auto misses. <laughs> um, and so I I personally appreciate that. When I'm coming in and swinging my axe, I'm gonna hit something. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm gonna hit it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sounds like Gimli. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. Well,
0: I'm I'm thinking of Thorgar right now. I've, I've got a really awesome hammer with him, and yeah, it's a lot of fun.
1: Oh, for sure. I'll jump to my number three. My number three is also a pro, and that is the boss battles. So in this game, you have different levels of enemies. You tend to have green, blue, and red enemies in each. Uh, there's kind of like the ranks of different enemies for each type of enemy. So you might have like a green gremlin and a blue gremlin and red gremlin, for example. So, you fight mostly through the campaign of different natures. But eventually, you come up to a giant purple enemy. And these are the huge boss enemies I'm talking about. And it's always a satisfying experience. What I mean by that is, it generally feels like taking them on a boss in a video game. So, when I play a video game, normally when I'm fighting a boss, I, I go in there kind of blind. I'm trying to see what happens. But I start picking up on patterns to their attacks and certain weaknesses. And I find this to be especially true in Sword and Sorcery. And it helps that I see the actions for the boss on their AI card, which helps, of course, so I know what they're going to do when. But you're looking at this and what they're going to do and trying to figure out, okay, I'm not good at fighting uh, from range. I need to make sure this flying boss can hit land on the ground. How can I maneuver this team or help each other out to get this guy down so I can have my big warlord guy land a devastating blow against this? And so you are seeing there are different ways they approach it. They all are very different. And it just makes it a really satisfying experience.
0: Steve, I can't agree with you more. I still can't believe I didn't have that on my list either. I just took on a purple enemy during the campaign, which you guys will see shortly on the YouTube channel. And it was probably the most fun fight I've had in Sword and Sorcery. <laughs> they, uh, A lot of them, I don't know if all of them do, Steve, but they, they are actually ha- two-sided cards. And so a lot of times certain effects will actually flip them and they'll have a totally different AI on the backside of the card. And then something might make them flip back over and then they're going to do different things. So, you might figure out how to deal with them on one side, and then all of a sudden they're going to flip and do something totally different. It is just so cool. It's it's something that I haven't seen in hardly any other dungeon crawler, and it just makes me excited every time I get to play against one of them.
1: Yeah, that one you're talking about flips, but not all of them flip. They do have double sides, but it's, it's different. It's different. Like, one of them we fight will... He takes flight, and that's one I was mentioning earlier. So, like, it's really hard for those melee characters to be effective against them. And they also drop down, like, darkness all around them. So, like, only their area, you can draw lines of sight to them. Or maybe it's the opposite, where you can't be next to them, and you can draw lines of sight to them, because they have these magical barriers that are just dropping down. And that plays very different than, like, the Orc King, which which has these double side where he might be offensive in one way and then switch to a defensive stance. And you have to kind of mitigate them. So they're all very, very diff- different
0: so cool it's so cool (laughs) okay steve i'll jump into my number two
1: yes let's do it
0: all right my number two is a huge pro for this game for me and that's character progression so how your character progresses in this game i mean it's what brings me back to this game between the story and between seeing my character grow so in the game you're going to start off with maybe one individual power and you'll have one combat action and one regular action okay and that's it Then as you level up, and by the way, how the game levels up is instead of you getting XP on your own, you're gaining these soul shards as a team. And so that means I don't have to be the killer to be able to level up. I can have Steve be the killer, which, by the way, would never happen. He's always the healer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, But you can have somebody else be the killer uh, or the one that takes out all the enemies, and that's fine because all the XP is shared. And I love that. And you can never have someone be a level too higher than somebody else. So when somebody else levels up, they can be at one level above you. And that means you have to be the next one to level up. I love how that works, making sure that everyone's at the even playing ground. You know, people at like level 17 and level two, because that is something with Gloomhaven that I have found I really don't like, because there are times when you'll be a really strong character in Gloomhaven and you're wreaking havoc and everyone else is like, well, I'm doing one damage. Woot! (laughs) Um, And so that's something about this game that I really do appreciate is that it makes sure that everyone levels up evenly. Also, as you level up, what you'll do is you'll gain additional powers. You'll have your own set of powers and they have them for two different sides of your character. At the beginning of the game, uh, of your campaign, I should say, you get to decide if you're going to be the lawful or the chaos, or if your character has the possibility, neutral. Then depending upon that, you can choose certain powers that that character has based upon that soul, uh, whichever side that they're on, chaos or law or neutral, and then you can uh, grab those and gain those as you level up. Now, you'll have ones that are specific for yourself, which are totally awesome, and you're going to love pretty much every single one of those and want to play every one of them, (laughs) but you only can pick a few. But then there's also talent cards that when you get a little star asterisk as you level up, that means you get to grab a general talent as well. And that is the bread and butter of this game. As you level up, you're going to have more of those, and you're going to be trying to decide, when am I going to use those? Because most, uh, a lot of them, not all of them, will use actions, and you have limited actions. Some of them might be combat actions, so are you going to use that versus using your weapon? They'll have different cooldown levels based upon the level that you use of the card. So for an example, Thorgar has a Heal Wounds card nice and simple. At level one, it just heals two, but at level three, it'll actually heal four. But if I do that, then that power card will take two whole rounds to refresh instead of just one round. And then when he gets to level five, he can heal six health, but then I have to wait three whole rounds before it comes back. And so every time I use it, I have to decide, okay, i I mean, Icarus has five damage, so I could use the heal five, but then I won't have that for the next three rounds. Are we going to survive? Is that a good idea? I really, really like that. Uh, So you get all these different options, and your character grows as the campaign grows. The biggest thing I'm worried about is I'm playing the side quests right now, the arcane portals. And the. And during there, you cannot go past level four. And so I'm not going to see any character progression through those scenarios. So I'm a little bit concerned because that is something that makes me really excited about the game. And if I can't uh, progress them, I'm worried that I'm not going to be as interested. But so far with the first scenario, that hasn't been a problem. <laughs> uh, but we'll, I guess we'll see. But yeah, I, I love how the character progression works. I do feel like the, the one partial con here is that at the beginning, you are going to feel very weak. And you're going to feel like your turns are pretty simple. You're going to move up. You have one combat action. I'm going to attack. You have one action. Well, maybe I'm going to do a focus. That's about it, right? So you might see at the beginning that you're, you don't have a ton that you can do. And that is what I think I have had problems with other people in the past losing interest in the game. They just have to get farther in the game to see what this game can provide to you.
1: Yeah, those are great points. And... One of them that you mentioned I want to elaborate a little bit too is the, the powers you have. You're limited to what strength you can activate that power and it has a different cooldown. Like you said, well, I might spend just healed by two, but I get my power back sooner. I could heal by five or whatever, and it takes longer to do cooldown. And it's interesting that as you progress, as you level up, you kind of have more options because you still have access to all those previous powers and it may still be worthwhile to do those lesser effects to get the spell uh, recharged quicker. So I really like the decision.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what's so fun about the character progression is it's using even the cards that you've already, uh, you already have and then giving you more options with them. And I love that. I love the fact, and it's something so simple, right? I mean, all they had to do was put in those different levels and different cooldowns. And, uh, you know, uh, at first, when I first saw it, I was thinking, oh, I mean, obviously I'm going to use the highest level. But then as you're playing the game, I'm like, well, I only need to heal two and I'd love to get that card back. So I'm only going to use the the lower level ability of it so I can have it refresh sooner. <laughs> it's
1: For so sure. cool. For sure. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the point about the side quest, the arcane portals, because um, Elijah and I are almost wrapping it up ourselves where, yes, you do have a level cap, and they did that intentionally because you don't want to be going to Act 2, the second half of the campaign, with a super uber power character and just, like, oh, steamroll everything. So they do level cap you, and we've been kind of stagnant on our ability to progress in that sense. So instead, what we've been doing, is we've been focused on just getting awesome loot instead. And as long as you have that option of getting really cool loot and kind of tweaking your characters' uh, more finer and how you want to adjust your playstyle because you can actually go back and change your power set for example with certain buildings you can go to like there's a wizard's tower i believe so you can actually change powers in case you chose a power that doesn't really work anymore or maybe it was good early on in the campaign and now you're finding out it's not so good anymore so it, side quest is good for that but as progressing as leveling up it will be it may become stagnant at least
0: yeah, but if you've gotten to uh, the second to last Arcane Portals uh, scenario, I feel like the story and that loot has been enough for you. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, definitely. The Arcane Portals uh, enemies, for example, are, are excellently done. And the story is quite good, too. So,
0: Oh, I can't wait, Steve. I can't wait.
1: <laughs> so I'll jump to my number two. My number two is a big con for me for this game. And that is the quest play time. I do find each quest fun to play, and they usually have some cool environmental element to interact with, or solve, or some NPCs to converse with, but frequently I feel like we reach a really good climax in the story, and it would be a great stopping point, point. Then we turn the page of the Book of Secrets and find out, oh wait, we have a lot more to play. And the game just simply overstays its welcome in, in this regard. It honestly feels to me that each quest is more like two times that of a quests and most other dungeon crawlers and i would love for them to break up the number of missions into more divisible parts it's easier for people to play multiple times in one night than try to break in the middle of a quest and i suspect a factor for these long missions were to limit the time visiting towns and restocking because before each quest you can go to town and repair items or or repair or sorry not repair items but repair weapons and purchase more items and get bounties or other fun stuff But this could be easily managed by simply stating, hey, by the way, in this part of the quest, you cannot go to town because it's a continuation of where you were earlier. It would be pretty easy to do, but I wish they would do that because when I get to like the two-hour mark and the three-hour mark, it just becomes too long.
0: Now, Steve, would you say that the Act 1 campaign, so the first seven scenarios that you played you did not feel that way it's when you started in the arcane portals they started to get to be three hours
1: yeah i would say so the first the core box ones they're not too bad they're long they're they're at my limit for length i would say but arcane portals the side quest it definitely gets long and i've heard here the other quests do get long as well as we continue playing through this it's not a huge deal if you're k like breaking the middle you can leave it set up like i said you don't know, tear the thing down But it would have been nice if they had nice breakpoints. Because like, oh, cool, we save this person. That'd be a good spot to stop. And like, oh, by the way this door opened up over here. We have to go venture what's over them. Like, well, do I, can I, can I just do that later? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, okay, I think I. this, I think this is a big point for anyone who plays this game multiplayer and Steve's playing it with Elijah. I'm playing it solo. So I don't have this problem at all because what I do is I'm playing. And then all of a sudden I'm tired. I'll just stop and go to bed. It's on my table. I get up the next day after the kids go to bed, then I can keep going with the story. So, I will say playing it solo. I don't feel this, but I'm totally tracking with you if you're playing multiplayer and you're only playing two player. Just imagine what that would be like, Steve playing five player. Just just think of that.
1: Yeah, I I have played at higher player counts, and this game becomes very long at those player counts.
0: Yeah, that's why I really don't think this game is good for people that it's more than more than two. Even I mean three, I think is doable, but I think two to one is your sweet spot.
1: Yeah, for sure. Agreed. Okay, Colin, what's your number one?
0: Okay, my number one, you kind of already talked about, but that is it's the biggest pro I think of this game and that's the the AI and how it works. Uh you talked about the the master enemies, the purple enemies, uh but just overall how the AI works in this game is what makes me so excited about playing it. Uh first of all, I love how, you know, I've been playing games recently that they like to just throw tons of plastic and I'll have a jillion of enemies out on the board, and yeah, I can kill them all, and I wipe them off the board, but then they all keep spawning back, and I spend a lot of time dealing with all of that. With Sword and Sorcery, though, what they do is they give you two of each color type. So I've got two green, I've got two blue, and then I have one red of each enemy type. And the greens are your lower rank, your blue are your middle rank, and the red is that kind of like a mini-boss of that type of enemy. And each one of them has their own enemy scroll, and then you have enemy cards for uh, each of the individual enemies. So I'll have two green enemy cards, two blue enemy cards, and one red enemy card. And they do all these little small tweaks between them, and it totally works. I, (laughs) I just love it. I love that I don't have to activate 500 enemies on the board and still feel like I have to deal with tactically, how to respond to these enemies. And okay, so for an example, there's these demonic cultists in the arcane portals. And guess what they do? They summon demons, of course, and they run away from you. (laughs) Uh, So what you want to do is you want to get to them first, especially if there's no demons in the enemy deck. And that's one of the things that I had to, that I just did recently. I had to run over there. I had to forego taking out a, a simple demon and try and take out this hard cultist first, just so that then I didn't have to worry about those uh, those blasted demons coming back from the dead. <laughs> but then those blasted demons will come racing in and try and protect that cultist. And then if they do die, then the cultist summons them back, and then they actually have ways to protect each other themselves. Oh, it's so cool! Uh, and then how the AI actually works when you are reading the card—it's actually. Very simple. I mean, uh, it can be a challenge to make sure to track everything. And I will say the, the biggest con of the AI is that you don't just read everything straight in order because there's a whole bottom section that you always need to be aware of that's got continuous effects, they've got reaction effects, and then they've got certain effects that um, happen only if they get triggered based on attacks. And so it can be a challenge to read the bottom section of the AI scroll, but the top is super simple. You're going to look at the top. You're going to see, okay, is anyone within the range that it states? If it is, then you're going to read what they're going to do. And then if you're not sure who they're going to target, because there's multiple targets, you look at their priority target list. If, if no one is that specific priority target, then you just look at the generic part, uh, target priority list. So there's no decisions I have to make for the AI. The AI cards make all the decisions for me, and I love that. So great, but I will say it can be a challenge to understand or to keep track of everything, especially solo. That's where I would say playing multiplayer with another person probably helps Steve, right? <laughs> because yeah, someone yeah, someone can help make sure that you're getting everything right. Uh, instead, for me, I just have the viewers tell me all the things I'm doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah i just i love how the ai works and i love how i don't have to track 500 different enemies it's only maybe three or four or five on the board but then they're they're reactive to what i do i move in with rain within range zero one or two they're going to do something different than if i'm in within range three and four and overall they almost always make sense right i, I just oh i think that's That's pretty cool. And then finally, it's not all the heroes go, so I can just kill them all before they activate. It's I only have one hero go, then they're going to react then I will have one hero go, then they're going to react. And you can look at their scrolls and make some judgments on, oh, I think they're probably going to do this if I go to this spot. And you can hope that that's right, but sometimes when you flip those encounter cards, they'll say, oh, actually, they're going to use their offhand weapon or they're going to use their plus ability regardless of range. And it's going, oh, man, I'd planned for them to do this thing and they're going to do something else. <laughs> so it's, it's fun. It makes it uh, dynamic. And I just think it's really, really well done. So I'm I'm super impressed with it. And it's what brings me back to the game, the AI.
1: So we've been pretty good about not having any overlap on this list. But my number one also is enemy AI. The pro <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one.
0: I mean, Sorry, Steve.
1: No, it's fine. I mean, when you look in SourceFeed, this is the, the obvious number one choice for me. I mean, it's it's a standout feature of this game. It's so well done. So I'm going to elaborate a lot what you said. So the enemy is what makes the game great. It's a little strange, as most people would look at what is on the hero's side to dictate their choices in the game, and that's usually true. But a huge portion of player decisions are driven by the enemy capabilities, and this is getting back to what Colin mentioned, where, like, hey, if I have a guy at range 3 and 4, and this is a target, he's going to do this XYZ. But that's not good for me. I, I don't want that to happen if I move this other guy at range 0 to 1, or whatever— it will activate this other thing, which is much better for me in this scenario. So it's kind of weird because normally you're used to having, you know, powers, all these other choices in front of you as a hero, but really your choices are often driven by what's on the enemy AI card. It's kind of a weird approach to how to think about how to play dungeon crawl and that the depth actually comes a lot from what the enemies are going to do. And they are intelligent. And like Colin mentioned earlier, they actively work together You don't see this a lot in the core box, especially in the beginning, but when you hit arcane portals, especially those cultists, very much so. So They will summon each other. They'll come to protect each other. They will actively work together to try to defeat you, and it's amazing how it kind of comes together. Now, the fun thing about looking at these enemy AI card, it quickly divulges, at least for me, into an entertaining, rewarding tactical puzzle, as I know, for the most part, what they're going to do. Granted, they may not out-activate and might do something little offbeat to what I expected but for the most part I kind of know what they're doing I can kind of anticipate and expect that and the other thing I will mention is while we have different groups comments on the green blues and red enemies they act very differently within that group so a really good example of this are like the raiders in the core box where you have the green raiders which want to run back and shoot you from range and the blue ones want to come up in your face and try to poison you And yeah, they're all part of the same group and they have some similar characteristics, but they have very different behaviors and what they're going to do. And there's another aspect to this which enhances this difference in behaviors is you have enemy AI powers, which is really cool. And so not every enemy, but certain types of enemies will get a random power associated to them when they spawn. And it could be like, oh yeah, I'm finding this blue cultist and before he had illusionary magic, so he's making these images of himself, makes it harder for me to hit him, and I might fight another blue cultist later in the campaign, and now he has a poison blade. So while I might be fighting the same type of enemy multiple times, these enemy eye powers make him feel very different. I have to approach him differently each time, just adding to that puzzle, of like, well, I know how I approached him last game, how I'm going to need to change my tactics to approach him this game, and it just really adds to that experience. Steve, that's such a great call out. I don't know why
0: I didn't talk about the powers. The powers are phenomenal. There's such a simple tweak to help you determine, oh, you know what? I've got to take this guy out in one blow because every round he's going to heal two HP on himself. I, I just had that with one of, the, one of the big guys. He ended up getting regeneration. And so that meant I had to find a way to make sure I could hit him all in one round and take him out in one round. Otherwise, he's just going to keep healing himself.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you might run to an enemy earlier and be like, yeah, I don't care. I can take a couple of hits and take them out. So it really changes how you approach the game. And the other cool thing about it is I don't know of other games that do this, but if an enemy eliminates or kills a hero in this game, they will level up. They get an additional power, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, so far I haven't had that happen. I'm nervous for when it does. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So yeah, long story short, the enemy AI is phenomenal in this game. and I th- I think it's probably the best AI I've encountered in a board game for my personal taste. Um, Gears of War is also excellent, but I think I'm liking this one better because I can plan for it a little bit more. It's a little more known, but it's just so interesting what they do with each of these enemies and how they activate.
0: I do want to mention one thing, and that is if you don't enjoy sitting and trying to understand and uh, take advantage of the AI then this game might not be for you because of that and because I find that I have to spend a little bit of time whenever new enemies come out studying that scroll because there's a lot of text on it and like I mentioned before it's not all just you read from top to bottom no you got to look at the bottom section then there's going to be continuous effects there's going to be reaction effects <laughs> and so you got to make sure that you're okay with that and spend that time to understand the AI but once you do, the the gameplay is glorious. It's just glorious. It's so much fun.
1: I think it's a perfect segue into our final thoughts. You want to keep going with your, your thoughts there, Colin?
0: Yeah. Thanks, Steve. So for final thoughts, I would say as a solo player, so I, I've essentially played this game solo at this point. I've tried multiplayer that did not work, and I do not recommend this with more than two people. But as a solo player who's able to leave the game out on the table and spend the time that's needed to understand the, the AI uh, scrolls, this game has given me, well, I put it as my number one dungeon crawler for a reason. I cannot stop thinking about it as I'm doing yard work outside. I'm thinking about the different uh, uh, what actions I'm going to be taking in my next step in the playthrough. (laughs) I'm messaging Steve, asking him questions on what he thinks. <laughs> so yeah, overall, this game is my number one dungeon crawler. I love that there's looting. There is leveling up. There's a story that I am very much invested in at this point. There's a ton out there now for it. I think when it was just act one and a lot of people saw it just act one, they went Ugh, this game. But now when you have act one, you have arcane portals, you have the darkness falls. And then at the end, you have the Vesuvius layer, and that's the dragon you have so much here and then you've got the new campaign that's coming out which i cannot wait for that to co- to show up minus that i have to do a lot of painting <laughs> uh so <laughs> overall if you're looking for that dungeon crawler with that uh you know basic fantasy uh but then has a story that's going to pull you in you enjoy character progression but you really enjoy interesting ai this game is for you heck it's for me i'll tell you that <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm going to echo a lot of your thoughts, I think. Sword and Sorcery is a fantastic game. and definitely one of the best dungeon crawlers, in my opinion. Like People might find other rooms that might tick the bones better. That's fine. But I will say it's not for the faint of heart. It can be very overwhelming when trying to learn. Set up as a chore, like I mentioned before. It can be difficult to remember all those effects and abilities while you're playing. It takes a long time to complete scenarios. But, I mean, the enemy AI is amazing. It is super fun and intricate. In which more games had an intelligent opponent that made decisions based on hero actions, and one thing I didn't mention, I probably should—I'll mention here—is I particularly like how enemies will not always simply attack the closest hero. It, I, I think we need to take a break, break away from that that concept in our broken design, in my opinion. Like if I'm playing a competitive game and you move a tanky character to fight one of my characters, but you have a healer standing shortly behind the tanker you better believe I'm going to try to disrupt your lines of support before I take a your tank, right? And I feel Sword and Sorcery has the capability, and they will do this in the game just by how the enemy activates. It's so good. I'm also not a big fan of having player elimination, but this game, you can turn into ghosts and still have an impact on the game and sometimes in significant ways. The character builds are fun. You can create cool and, and some very powerful combos. And I'm really looking forward to the next installment with Ancient Chronicles, which adds even more elements like familiars, crafting, a unique nemesis. So if you think of uh, Marvel Champions, how that works, it's going to be somewhat similar uh, in that regard. And open-world exploration. So yeah, big fan of this game. It's not going to be for everyone, but if you're looking for a deep, engaging, just tons of tokens experience for a dungeon crawl, this is one of your better choices.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself, Steve. That was awesome.
1: So that's going to conclude our visit to Sword and Sorcery. And I believe we'll probably revisit this later after we get through Act 2 and probably for sure when we get the new content, Ancient Chronicles. So we'll try to do more of these revisit reviews in the future. You know I'll be there, Steve. And if you guys want to follow along see what this game's about, Colin has a ton of videos lined up, and I'm sure he's going to keep producing them for this campaign, so you can follow along with his campaign on YouTube. Hope
0: you guys joined. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I make a ton of errors. So you guys can make sure to keep me honest. <laughs> That's
1: right. What <laughs> are anyway, Colin? Thanks for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Steve. I appreciate it.
1: And thanks, listeners. And we'll see you at the next stop.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. Totally. <laughs> I was like, maybe I should say something there, Steve. Uh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't have
0: to. I'm sorry.